Well, again, a very happy Mother's Day to everybody who is either a mother or has a mother or had a mother living with them. And we, uh, I'm always excited about Mother's Day. You know, that's a West Virginia creation. For any of you who know that, I'm from West Virginia, and uh, the woman that started that came from about 40 miles from my house and uh, wanted to honor the mothers in the community. And by the end of her life, she was trying to get it taken off the books because of the way it had been commercialized and how it was merely just a tool to sell flowers and candy and cards. But the sentiment is real, and we know that there is a, a beauty in the life of a mother who is subjected to the Lord as her authority and is wanting to go about that blessed occupation in a way that blesses their children, and, and we want to honor that, not just on Mother's Day, obviously, through the year. And um, I thought, what a great day to talk about patience, because who needs patience more than a mother, right? Um, turn to Hebrews 12 with me, and... I wanted to return to that topic we had before us last week about, again, coming from 2 Peter chapter 1 and those familiar verses to make every effort to add to your faith, excellence, knowledge, self-control, and patience or steadfastness, or endurance. That we have need of that. And then the idea today is to just return to that topic, but to, in a sense, or in a way, if we can, make it practical. How possibly can I add endurance to my life? So the one-word answer, I'll give you a one-word answer, and then we'll just look at some scriptures together and... The example, as I said, of Joseph, but specifically of Moses. I thought I would also look at that. The one word answer, how do I add endurance to my life? Suffer. So, we'll unpack that in this message. Let's just look to the Lord for help as we read His Word. God, we've already said, without You we can do nothing. And even in the reading of Your Word, we want to submit ourselves under Your Word. We don't want to come to Your Holy Word with our man-made opinions or our reason or our intellect or what we've heard on TV or what we've grown up understanding. We want to submit ourselves under the authority of Your Word that You might shape us and teach us. And Lord, we just pray even about this topic of steadfastness. Might we learn from You, the steadfast one, the patient one, the enduring one, who we can um, only try to imitate. But one day we will be like you when we see you as you are. And so we just give you thanks for your word, and we open it with joy and expectation this morning. Amen. Amen. Just to recap a little bit from the last message, if you didn't hear it, we talked a little bit about the fact that there are two different words in Greek for patient that are translated patience in our Bible. And one of them is 
closer to long suffering, suffering long, and it focuses on the emotional aspect of patience. And then the one that we're looking at from Second uh, Peter, which is the topic of this message, is a different word which focuses on the positional aspect of patience, the simple remaining under something. And to me, patience is a hard word to describe. Imagine yourself trying to tell a child, what does it mean to be patient? We're always telling them to be patient, but what do we mean? It doesn't just mean waiting. I think one way of putting it is wait nicely. But uh, just to give you a little picture, imagine yourself in traffic, right? Sitting in traffic at a traffic light. And this will get to a little bit of why it might be a little difficult to understand or define what patience is. Everyone at the traffic light is waiting, but not everyone is enduring, or not everyone is patient. You could be waiting there at the light, honking your horn, swearing, come on, you know, uh, you know, all kinds of wildness. And we know that we've either, unfortunately, done that ourselves, or we've seen it enough times to know. Road rage. It's funny how often preachers will speak of sin and they return to the life of the road. For some reason, we oftentimes feel pushed to our limits when we're driving. I don't know why that is. But it's like uh, I was talking to somebody the other day. It's like, I've got a lead foot. You know, I can't, I can't slow down. And so we oftentimes, I mean, we've got a lot of sin in our life, but for some reason, the sin on the road just keeps coming back to us. Our impatience, man, we just are, I can be patient with my child, but when that guy cuts me off, I just want to, every word comes to mind that I want to say. And so not everyone waiting at the traffic light is patient, right? So if you're swearing or if you're doing so, you're not, you're not patient. But you might be asleep at the light. Is that person patient? They're not swearing, but they're not patient either. They're just asleep. You might be texting, right? We got a lot of that, texting at the light. You're hoping the light doesn't change, right? Is that patience really? Not really. It's distraction. So simply being distracted from the, the cares of life is not patience, right? Um, you could be, uh, if I, when I think of myself sitting there at the light, right? What is it that makes that a patient waiting rather than simply being there. And I think it has to do with this idea of remaining under. I am, to be patient or to endure, to be steadfast in this way, is to remain under the Lordship of Christ through every trial. To wait as if the Lord is there with me. Of course He is, but sometimes we don't think of it. And so, it's to endure. You know, I was waiting behind. Have you ever gotten behind a, a work truck? Somebody's in a work truck. And, you know, they're profiting by the light. In other words, they're being paid by the hour. So they're, they're also patient. If you look at it from one sense, they're not swearing. They're happy to be waiting. And then they start driving, and they're driving 10 miles an hour. That's not patience either, right? And so... We need to, as believers, if we're going to add patience, add endurance, add steadfastness to our lives, whether we're mothers or whether we're fathers, whether we're just believers in, you know, in the truest sense in the Lord, what does it mean? It means to remain under His Lordship as I wait. And so as if the Lord is sitting in the passenger seat, how am I, you know, 
how am I waiting? And that's going to affect the way we do it. And that really gets behind the practical aspect that I want to bring to bear on this word. Because if I, if I said the one word answer, how can I add patience to my life, is literally to suffer. There's a lot of other ways to think about it. And a lot of it has to do, as we'll see in Hebrews 12, to looking to the Lord. right? And we say that a lot in the meeting, look to the Lord. But what does that mean on a practical everyday level? So let's just look briefly here at Hebrews 12. Last time we were together, we talked about the opposites of steadfastness, the opposites of endurance. And if you remember, just to re- re- reiterate them, it either is leaving. So if we're thinking about remaining under the Lordship of Christ, it means I'm out of here. I'm leaving the Lordship of Christ. I'm turning around and not turning back. And that's the most shocking one, the one that will lead to uh, the harshest consequence. Right, Because now you've proven yourself to be not a Peter, but a Judas. So Peter and Judas both failed, but Peter himself came back, was restored by the Lord. Judas failed and left the Lord and entered into worldly sorrow, which led to death. Another opposite, number two, was drifting away. If we're not enduring, we are drifting with our culture. We're merely, it's like we're bobbing on the waves And we don't want to be that type of believer who simply just bobs along with our culture. Another one is drawing back, shrinking back, almost like a instead of remaining under the Lordship of Christ, either through fear or a sense of unworthiness. We get a lot of this in the jail, where somebody may have been a uh, grown up in the church, may have confessed Christ, but because of their failures, they're drawing back from the Lord. I'll serve the Lord once I get uh, my life together. I don't want to be a hypocrite so they don't come and join us in the services. They're like, I don't want to come to the church in the jail. I'll come outside. It's, it's not right. So they draw back. We want to endure. You know, if you ever find yourself in jail, right, and you might. I'm not gonna, I mean, especially, you know, the way our culture is, it might not even be because you messed up, but it might be because uh, you're, you're there because uh, they're cracking down on believers. I mean, who knows? I don't want to be one of those... Uh, I'm not on the talk radio, so I'm not going get, to get extreme about it. But if you ever find yourself in jail, endure under the Lordship of Christ that experience. right? And so uh, another one that we looked at and the one that I resonate a lot with is growing weary or losing heart right, or being faint-hearted. So instead of that, endure. right? So even, you know, we talked about that picture of the waiting room being in the waiting room of God. Right? I'm trying to endure, but weariness comes in. Faint-heartedness comes in. And aren't you more likely to snap at someone and display impatience when you get tired, when you get uh, faint-hearted, when you're pushed to your limit? So we need to strive to add steadfastness uh, to counteract the weariness that comes on us. And lastly, it isn't just fading, falling away or falling back. Another way of not being patient is to go ahead of the Lord. Right? And we talked about progressing in a negative way, right? Going ahead, going beyond what the Word of God says, right? We might think of ourselves as very progressive and very, I'm a go-getter. I'm, you know, I'm, I, don't st- I don't just stand around. That's not, neg- that's not necessarily 
all that we have to worry about. You might be running as fast as you can, but you can't hear the Word of the Lord. You can't hear His voice. That's why sometimes we're told to be still and wait. So I'd just like to read this passage in Hebrews 12, and then look also in one Romans passage before we uh, wrap this idea of steadfastness up by looking at the Old Testament. And so Hebrews 12, starting in verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and chastises every son whom He receives." It is for discipline, which I like this, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Or you could put in mother, right? I know that the father image is there not by accident, but it is Mother's Day, and we do endure some discipline under our mothers, I hope. <coughs> if you were left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers and mothers too who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. And this is the key verse. For the, mom for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, exercised by it. So when I say that the way, if you want to add patience to your life, and I pray that you do, I pray that you want to make every effort to add steadfastness or endurance to your life. And if I tell you the answer, the way to do that is to suffer, what does that mean? Does it mean to go out there and i gotta look for, I got to look for a way to suffer? I'm going to, you know... Um, stand out in run, rushing traffic and, and, you know, and that's going to bring some suffering to you. Or I'm going to try to meet some people that just uh, are really going to run me down. And uh, so that will really suffer. I'm going to be attracted to people that uh, hurt me. And that's going to cause me to suffer. You know, there have been, this is a, unfortunately a cycle that sometimes uh, women will fall into especially, but also men increasingly in this culture. They'll be drawn to people that are that treat them badly. They might have grown up in a home where they were uh, maybe abused verbally or something like that. And so they'll be attracted to a man that's like that, who, who, who doesn't treat them well. That is not what I mean by seeking out suffering. We don't want to suffer like that. Uh, we don't have a... Uh, the, the Christian doesn't want to suffer in that way. It is not inflicting pain upon oneself. That is not what... In fact... If you know the history of the church, you know that in the ascetic life, the monks and the nuns, especially in the Middle Ages, really fell into this trap where they said, well, if suffering adds patience, then I'm going to make myself suffer as much as I can. And they would even go to some extremes and they would, have their, they would carry around their little whips. Are you familiar with that practice? And they would whip their backs as they prayed because they believed that in suffering like that, they were gaining godliness. And that is not what we're talking about. 
Although we may shudder at that and we think, I would never do such a thing, we do want to search our hearts. Is there anything in me that kind of has this such a low view of myself that I would actually maybe even seek out suffering in that way? That's not what we mean. So how can I add patience by suffering? What I would encourage you to do is to look at your life and find the suffering that is there. All right? To look at your life and find the suffering that is there. There is no believer who is not enduring, I think even in the present time, some kind of suffering for Christ's sake. We just don't get the benefit of it. We're not exercised by it. We either think, this is not supposed to be, I can't wait to get out of this trial because, I mean, I shouldn't have any trials. I'm a child of the King. I... And so we, we ignore it. We just can't wait to get out of it. Or we're just not paying close enough attention. Our minds go, and we, we, we've been taught, count your blessings, name them one by one. And so we're, we're, we're taught, or we may be taught incorrectly, that as believers, we don't want to think about the negative things in our lives. We want to just put those in a nice box, repress them, close them up, and never think about them again. I just can only think about the happy things, right? But that's not godliness. We need to look at those things, the suffering that we're enduring, and we need to have these verses in mind in Hebrews 12. We need to be exercised or trained by the suffering. You know, sometimes it's extreme, sometimes it's small. Don't despise the trials of your life, right? Don't despise those things when you're overlooked by someone. If you're insulted by someone, right? Especially for godliness. If you're uh, said that person's just a, a doormat, they're getting walked all over. I, I can't believe that. You almost want to store that up. Put that in your bank. Wow. You can be like the apostles who rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Peter and John were walking away thinking, well, thank goodness that is over. Now I can get to get to uh, my, back to my Christianity. No. They, they considered that as an important part of their walk with Christ when they were given the lashes there. So they left there not depressed or, man, oh, what a life is difficult. They counted those trials joy. So that's something that we say a lot. But, you know, rejoice, brothers, when you face many trials. We hear those verses, but can I really experience it? If you have a craving and a longing for endurance, then you're going to start viewing your sufferings differently. You're going to start viewing the patience that is required of you as a mother differently. You're not going to say, oh, man, this just shouldn't be like this. Motherhood should not be so stressful. Why can't my child shape up? I can't wait till he gets to be 15 and everything is great, right? And all the ones who've had a 15-year-old say, well, I can't wait till they're 21. And then, and then everything's going to fight. I'll stop having this trials of my patience, no? Or wait till they're, whatever, 40, or I don't know how. Of course, it never ends, right? Instead, you'll say, look at this five-year-old child. He's so rebellious. But you'll even be able to smile at that trial that they are putting you through. And I don't want to diminish the testing and the trial that a child will put his mother through. I've seen it. I've, I've witnessed it myself. I've been a, I've dished it out. 
as a son to my poor mother. I remember a time, I won't even talk about the, uh, the specifics of it. She may end up listening to this message someday. But I remember one time, boy, I really, I really gave it to her. And I really, I was uh, intentionally wanted to do something uh, that, that hurt her feelings because I, she had done something and I didn't like it. But a child has powerful sway over a loving mother, right? Because if a mother loves the, the son or the daughter, they, 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 they can really hurt them, you know? And so if you are a mother today, right, and you feel that pressure, you feel that suffering or trial, take it to the Lord. Think, Lord, this, thank you for bringing this into my life. And you'll begin to view your child not as some kind of little demon, right? You're sitting, you know, the devil's testing me. No, it's the Lord is bringing you alongside. He uses our children to teach us endurance, to teach us steadfastness. And we begin to view those trials. Not that everything is a trial with a child, obviously. But um, those times when we feel like, oh, Lord, give me patience. Don't just be eager to get out of it. We can enjoy it. In the last or not last, but let's go to Romans 5 and see it said a different way by Paul to the Romans. Because I think this is a, a practical way to make every effort to add suffering. This is not necessarily something that you do. In other words, you don't, you're not doing the thing where you're whipping your back and, and causing suffering for yourself. But it is a change of your state of mind where you begin to perceive your life as this training ground. And so then those trials that come along, you say, thank God for that. It finally came. You know, now I have a, an opportunity to show the Lord my steadfastness, my endurance. And now you're adding endurance. And so he says in Romans 5, <clears throat> verse 2, through him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, so the hope is there at the end, right? Not only that, rejoicing in the hope, but we rejoice in our sufferings, and then here's this divine formula, right? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, there's our word, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame or disappoint because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Right? And so there is this divine formula. Right? We don't need to seek the sufferings. They are going to come. The trials will come. But we can view them in a way that the person in the world cannot view them. All they can say is, this has, I, I can't, I'll do anything to get rid of this trial. Think of the kind of parent that makes, that mindset makes. The child is testing my patience. I'll do anything it takes to stop them nagging me. So I'll just make compromises. I just go out and play. And I, I'll, 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 uh, I'll, there's a lot of dismissal of children, especially when they're young. I just need to get them out of my face because I, I can't suffer this anymore. Isn't it interesting that the Lord said... Suffer the children in our in the King James version, and when I was a kid, I always thought that sounds weird. In fact, I heard I've heard several people misquote it and say, "Suffer not the children to come to me," because because it sounds like Jesus is saying, "Stop making the child suffer." But that's not what he said. When he said, "Suffer the children to come to me," 
He's basically appealing to his disciples for patience, right? Be long-suffering of these children and allow them to come to me. And that's a beautiful message for us on Mother's Day. Whether we're mothers or not, whether our children are 5 or 40, we need to have that patience and endurance towards them as we try to bring them to Christ, right? And knowing that in us, this is all working towards the good, right? The suffering, it'll only last a little while anyway. But while it's lasting, it is producing this beautiful attribute that Peter is telling us to add. It is producing in us steadfastness and endurance. There's no other way for it to come. There's no other way for endurance to come except passing through suffering and remaining under the Lordship of Christ. So we give thanks for those trials when they come. Because at the suffering itself, the endurance produces this word character. It produces now, on the other side of it, I have been tested and found faithful. You can't be tested without the testing, right? So a lot of times we longed for that testimony. I want to be somebody who's found faithful for the Lord. I just want to skip the suffering part. You know, I just want to be on the other side of it. We've got to really view this. I don't like to use the word formula. But it is kind of like this divine equation. And keep it in our mind. Because that character is, produces hope. It produces the assurance in our heart. Yes, I am His. These things are being worked out in me. My salvation, I see it work, worked out as He makes me more and more a steadfast or enduring person. And so that's our, um, our way, our practical way of adding patience. I wanted to actually read the lyrics to a hymn before we look briefly at the Old Testament. And this is a hymn by John Newton, and it's not in our book. In fact, it's not in very many books at all, and it was forgotten um, by the church until this group revived it a couple years ago. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. We're familiar with that. He also wrote this hymn called I Ask the Lord. And just to give you a little background, he was in the process of trying to compile a hymn book with a friend of his named William Cooper. And... Amazing Grace was one of the hymns in this hymn book. And as he was doing it, his friend went insane and was committed to a mental asylum, William Cooper, who wrote some beautiful hymns. And John Newton, in the preface to the hymnal, said, it just seemed like every, all our efforts were being thwarted. And it just seemed like we were trying to do this beautiful thing, but everything was against us. So I just wanted to read the words of this hymn as we think about the development in us of godliness, the development in us of these attributes like steadfastness. It goes like this. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of His salvation know and seek more earnestly His face. T'was He who taught me thus to pray, and He I trust has answered prayer, but it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour, at once he'd answer my request, and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart, and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more, with his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds, and laid me low. If, we, if you studied Jonah with us, 
blasted your gourds doesn't mean anything unless you happen to have a King James version of Jonah, where he's the plant that gourd, was it called a gourd that grew up over him, and the Lord blasted it and made him suffer. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of worldly joy that thou may seek thy all in me. That thou may seek thy all in me. So I've heard a lot of times people will tritely say, make sure you don't pray for patience because then the sufferings come. But let's not be trite about it. Let's pray for patience. Let's make every effort and view those sufferings as they come, as from the hand of the Lord. John Newton was able to see. He's like, it's almost like you're trying to cross all my fair designs, I, even my good things that I'm doing. Just, but, but he was able to gain the benefit and be exercised because he viewed himself under the hand of God. He remained under his authority and was thereby trained by it. So he wasn't made bitter by his trials. He was made better. And he was able to progress and become more and more that tested saint, that deeply rooted believer that nothing can shake. And that's what we long for, is that we would have a deep rootedness, especially those of you who are younger. You need this endurance for the decades ahead if the Lord should tarry. If we still find ourselves here in 30 years, you need to orchestrate your life now so that you will have that deep rootedness that nothing can shake, whatever the world changes, how, whatever changes may come. I want us to think, we don't even really need to turn there, but think about the person of Joseph. You know, I said at the outset of this series that I uh, wanted to uh, look at the way that these seven attributes were lived out in the life of someone like Joseph. And Chad was asking me, you know, why Joseph or what's the connection? And it really is a sense of, we get a lot of Joseph's life in Genesis. And so he was such a, a godly person. Uh, he displayed, we get to see a lot of his life, and so it turns out that he displays these very well and we can see them. And so it's just a way of making it practical. So Joseph suffered, didn't he? And so you never would have known that Joseph was a patient man the first time you hear of him, right? Why? Because everything had been handed to him on a silver platter. His life was amazing. He was the favored son of his father amongst these other sons. He had no right to that. He wasn't the firstborn or anything else. He got the multicolored coat. and he had, a, he, he had God's favor. He was having dreams. Everything was great. You might have called him blessed by God, but you would not have called him patient. And you would not have called him steadfast. Right? It's only at the end of Genesis that you would call Joseph a steadfast man, a patient man. And so he's able to look back at his trials and see the hand of God, and this makes him exercised by those trials. So I'll just read just the one famous verse from Genesis 50. It's the last uh, chapter of, of Genesis, the last chapter of Joseph's life. And this is the way he was able to talk to his brothers about his sufferings, and I think it sounds a lot like John Newton, because he says in Genesis 50, verse 18, 
we see the scene, his brothers trembling because they're the ones who caused this suffering, right? Think of those who cause. Think of your child trembling before you. I mean, even even you older ones, as you think of your parents, you think all oh, the trials I put my my parents through. Even if I if I came to them and said, I just want to apologize for all the. I think of Brother Ken. Ken's always saying that. <laughs> Not that he's the only one. But oftentimes they'll say, oh man, the things I put my mother through. And, and you know, we're like Joseph's brothers coming to him and thinking, oh, I'm, I'm wicked, I'm evil, you know. But this is another way of thinking of the other side of the equation, those things that we've done. We've confessed them, God's forgiven us. And look at how Joseph views them. So in verse, I think I said 18, his brothers came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we're your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So don't fear, I'll provide for you and your little ones. And that's one of the most shocking sentences that I've come across. God meant it for good. God did not just come along and see his brothers mistreating him and say, you know what, sorry about that, Joseph. I'll turn it to your good. A lot of times that's our theology. God takes all the bad things that people do. He didn't know they were going to do it. He's kind of shocked by it. He feels sorry for us, and he turns it to our good. This says God intended those things. God intended what his brothers did in some sense that we can't fully understand. It's just as John Newton said, more with your own hand you have aggravated these things. He is in your life shaping you and oftentimes through the sufferings that you come across. And we can be like a Joseph who is not embittered by our trials but becomes that tested, steadfast one. I also wanted to just briefly mention Moses. I've been very enthralled and kind of in my mind amazed I read a commentary where someone talked about Moses as the mother of Israel. If Abraham is the father of Israel, Moses is the mother. And I was really intrigued by it. Um, the main idea coming from, uh, he delivered them, right? Or God through him, he was the, or, uh, the, the instrument of delivery of the nation. And so it's almost as if Abraham was the father. They went into the womb of Egypt and were there for their nine months or 400 years, and then Moses draws them out like the midwife, or even like gives birth like a mother. And if you remember, I'll just look at one verse as we close in Numbers 11, or is it Numbers? Yeah, Numbers chapter 11. Because Moses was another patient one. He was another steadfast one. He was another enduring one. And he, get, he dis displayed characteristics that are found in the godliest of mothers. And so on this Mother's Day, he wasn't a mother, obviously, he was a man. But you can be like a mother. And I can be like a mother, right, to those around me. All the beautiful things, those things that we think of when we think of mothers, the patience. Not, I, not that every mother is patient all the time, that's not the goal. But that's what we strive for, right? I, I, I'll say, well, my mother will always love me, right? It doesn't matter what I do. We appeal to that maternal thing, that maternal instinct, right? I, uh, you know, my, I, one time when I was a little boy, I was standing by my mother as she was talking to one of our neighbors, and I was kicking her in the shins. And uh, my, my neighbor said, you shouldn't let him do that. 
And my, I'm not saying this is exactly what should happen, but my mother said, if you can't kick your mom, who can you kick? <laughs> That's the kind of mom I guess I have. She was very patient with me. And I'm not saying that a mother needs to say that. But there is this sense that you always have love in your mother's eyes. right? But you and I can be that kind of lover of the people around us. Just like Moses was. You know, Moses, went in his point of frustration, you know, Moses got frustrated with the people of Israel. And he complained about them and he lost his temper. Just like we do with our children. But look at what he says in verse 12, uh, chapter 11, when he says, he's speaking to God and he's, he's, this is one of his points of frustration in verse 11 actually of chapter 11 of Numbers. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse? I know sometimes it says nursing father, but it's really just as a nurse, a wet nurse literally carries a nursing child to the land you swore to give their fathers. This people that I've neither conceived nor given birth to, but he was such a mother to them, right? He prayed for them when no one else was praying for them. He stood in the gap for them like a mother will stand in the gap for a rebellious child year after year, living out Christ's love before them until finally they break and they say, now if the love of my mother brought me to this. And many times we'll hear in the jail, why are you a believer? It's my mother. My mother was praying for me and she's still praying for me. And I want to, you know, I, I remember this one really hardened guy in the jail. One time he broke down when he talked about his mother had just passed away. He said, she was the one who prayed for me. She never left me. She never deserted me. And Moses is like that. He was steadfast. He was enduring. So might we be the kind of people who are not only steadfast mothers, steadfast fathers, but steadfast believers, loving those around us through every trial, finding joy in those trials, knowing that they're shaping steadfastness. In Romans 15, Paul said, Now may the God of endurance and encouragement make you that same kind of person. And that can really be our prayer. So if there is a practical aspect, it's not just to suffer and to be exercised by our sufferings, but we pray. We want to pray like Paul did. May the God of endurance, He's the enduring one, the steadfast one, may He add endurance and encouragement to us that we might remain under His Lordship through every suffering and every trial to His glory.